Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. everybody. Glad you are here. Little CeeLo to start us off. Can we hear all our campuses for your campus band? Give me a hand one more time. <laughs> Thrilled you are with us today. This is week two of our series Pop God in which we're kind of using popular music as a springboard into the book of Hosea. Forget you and forget you too, okay? One of the biggest breakout hits probably in the last couple of years by CeeLo Green. You recognize him? Probably remember him from The Voice, uh, he had show, the talent show with Christina Aguilera, uh, Blake Shelton, Adam Levine. CeeLo is the vocal coach. He's kind of a, a singer-songwriter with this like, kind of hip-hop soul thing going on. His real name, here's a tidbit, his real name is not actually CeeLo. Did you know that? You want to take a guess? He was born Thomas DiCarlo Calloway. So Carlo became CeeLo in Atlanta, Georgia, and he was part of the group uh, um, Gnarls Barkley, okay, before going solo. Now, here's the interesting thing I thought. Both of his parents ordained ministers. Yeah, not so much if you're a pastor's kid. Uh, you know, it's kind of like he started his music career in the church, and uh, his father died when he was two years old. He was actually raised by his mom. So when his album, The Lady Killer, kind of came out last summer, Forget You just kind of went viral, over two million hits in just a couple days. And, uh, and, and candidly, you might know this, the original title wasn't Forget You, Okay. They had to edit that to make it a little bit more palatable for the mainstream. But this song really put CeeLo on the map. It had five Grammy nominations, our certified gold in the U.S., and it was named the number one song of 2010 by Time Magazine. Billboard uh, described it this way. They said, it's as sunny as a 60s Motown hit and as edgy as an Eminem song. Over a twinkling piano line, bumping bass, and steady percussion, Green shakes off a failed relationship with a gold digger. By packing the simple pleasures of old-school soul music into tongue-in-cheek verses and a suitably soaring chorus. Indeed, it is this kind of fun, you know, infectious, sunny song, but it does have these sharper edges about a guy who's kind of two-timed by his woman. He says, I see you drive around town with the girl I love, and I'm like, forget you. I guess the change in my pocket wasn't enough, and I'm like, forget you and forget her too. For anyone who's been dumped, who has had their heart kind of busted in two and is still bitter about the breakup, you may know the feeling. I said, if I was rich, I'd still be with you. Ha, now ain't that some shoes. Uh, and although there's pain in my chest, I still wish you the best with a forget you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. It's kind of this, you know, fun, saccharine, sweet pop confection with a little bit of a bitter taste at the center. Again, the perfect soundtrack, in my opinion, for the book of Hosea, 
which we learned last week is a love story about a relationship gone bad. If, if you remember last week, I introduced you to the two main characters, the Hebrew prophet Hosea, the man, and his wife, Gomer, the girl. And uh, let's just acknowledge, guys, this should be a tip-off. As a general rule, steer clear of women named Gomer, okay? This is just kind of a biblical thing. God told Hosea, the prophet, to marry a prostitute as a living illustration of his relationship with Israel. But there was a catch. Gomer was a gold digger, as CeeLo might call her, a hoochie mama, okay? Literally, God told Hosea in advance that Gomer would be unfaithful to him, that, that she'd actually bleed him dry and then go off to find other lovers to pay the bills. This is the God's honest truth that happened in the 8th century. And God said this relationship here between Hosea and Gomer is a living object lesson. This is what it's like for me to be married to you, Israel. Woof. Intense story. Actually kind of an outrageous story. And I did mention, parents, this is a PG-13 series, okay? So if your kids are under 12, now would be like a perfect moment to dismiss them to Liquid Kids. We've got great kids programming there. Uh, but then again, I just acknowledge, this could be a great opportunity to open up kind of a larger conversation about how you respond to pain and heartache in a, in a godly perspective, okay? So use your discernment, parents, as we dig in. Speaking of which, take your Bible, all our campuses, turn to Hosea chapter 2. It's on page 627. This is where we'll camp out today. As you turn there, um, hey, you know what? Let's welcome, actually, our brothers and sisters in Nutley, New Brunswick, joining us on the big screen. Morristown, can you put your hands together? Welcome, you guys. We love you. Thrilled you're here today joining us through the magic of technology. I actually received an email this week from one of our campuses. Someone said this, wow, Hosea is intense. I've never read this book before, and I was shocked to learn that God has feelings. That's a new idea for me. I've always thought of God as emotionless, unmoved, you know, kind of above it all. But Hosea is intense. There's anger, love, raw passion in God's voice, which was very moving to me. It made me think maybe God really is jealous for me. That is a, that is a, indeed he is. Jealous is a good word. It's actually a biblical word. In Zechariah 8, scripture says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very, what's the word? jealous for Zion. That's another name for Israel. I am burning with jealousy for her. What's jealousy? It's when you want someone all to yourself and you resent any rivals, yeah? You lavish your affection, your love. They're your treasured possession. You love them above anyone or anything else. And you just ask one thing, their faithfulness in return. You say, I'm going to give everything to you. I just want you to be devoted to me. Anyone who's been in love knows how quickly jealousy just kind of flares up when you see your hottie flirting with somebody else, okay? It arouses this, this, this passion, this burning, and this, this, is, this is a sign of God's heart. This is about his passion for you. That is how intense he is about me. It's actually this beautiful concept, burning with a godly jealousy. God says, I will do whatever it takes to protect this, this relationship. All I want is for you to love me in return. God is jealous for you. And that's amazing. Think about that. God is jealous for me. That's literally why Jesus came. He, he bled on the cross to show us the lengths God would go through to restore that relationship and then preserve it for us through all eternity. Now, in the Old Testament, that's where we're going to be camping out here. God loved Israel, the nation, and he, and he loved them as his chosen people, his treasured possession. And he took them out of slavery in Egypt. He freed them. And as a honeymoon present, he delivered them into the promised land. But that's when it all began falling apart. Because Israel began worshiping the Baals, that is the, the, the local gods of their Canaanite neighbors. And guess how it made God feel? 
jealous. What's it feel like to be jealous? I mean, if you get traded in for a newer model, (laughs) it makes you angry, doesn't it? And that's what the Hebrew prophet says in chapter 2. Look at verse 2 here. He says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Again, PG-13 intensity here. God accuses Israel of infidelity. He says, you know what? I have been nothing but faithful to you, and you've acted like a hoochie in return. <laughs> I see you drive around town with that guy I love, and, I'm, and you're like, forget you. This is a breakup. He's saying, you're not my wife any longer. I'm not your husband. Guilt's all over your face. Hosea was jealous, and he had good reason. Because it wasn't a casual fling for Gomer. She actually gave birth to children by other men. We saw this last week. Look at verse 4 and 5. Hosea says, I will not show my love to her children because they're the children of adultery. Their mother's been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. I mean, can you imagine being in Hosea's position? He's probably a good dad. Imagine him going to tuck his kids into bed every night and he looks in their little faces and he sees the milkman's reflection. And then he looks at this one, it's the mailman. And then he looks at this one, it's the ups delivery guy. What's going on here? Like, you know, what have you been up to while I've been away? Holy awkward moment. Yet this is real life. This is the story of how our spiritual adultery actually makes God feel jealous, angry, hurt, resentful. I mean, wouldn't you be? Again, we don't relate to Baal worship. We don't have, you know, idols made of wood or stone that we kind of bow down to today. But our false idols kind of take just different forms in the 21st century. We worship kind of, you know, Western success and its symbols, cars, homes, bank accounts. Remember, Israel was a very wealthy nation at this time. But she forgot where her prosperity had come from. She said, look at this, I will go after my lovers, verse 5, who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. In other words, Gomer was rich. She had everything she needed. She had food, clothing, wool, linen, oil, wine, but she forgot where those blessings had come from. The Israelites were literally thanking Baal who they believed controlled the weather and controlled farming. They were actually so immersed in idolatry, they actually believed pagan gods gave them their vineyards and their orchards. You can look at that in verse 12 there. They'd forgotten everything in their land. Everything in their life was a generous gift from this one true God who loved them and was crazy about them. And again, the modern parallel is clear. A lot of people today are quick to give credit to anything and everyone but God for their prosperity. They look around and they credit, you know, they say, well, you know, I have what I have. You know, it was just luck. It was all luck, you know, it's kind of, or hard work. I've worked really hard to earn what I've gotten. Or quick thinking or the right contacts. And, and you know what that is? When you, when you cut God out and you credit everything else, it's called pride. And nothing tanks a relationship with God like more quickly than pride. I mean, let me ask you, gut check, okay? When you succeed, who gets the credit? Who, who do you typically give the credit to? Because Gomer was like, I'm rich, I'm successful, forget you. To which God said, oh, I see. So I guess the change in my pocket wasn't enough. <laughs> if I was richer, I'd still be with you. <laughs> I invest some shoes. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm taking it all back. See how you like this. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God says, I will take away my grain when it ripens, my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen. In other words, God's like, you want to be a gold digger? Then pack your stuff and get out. I get it. I'm old news. You take me for granted. <laughs> Bells and Xbox, I'm an Atari. I get it. (laughs) Well, watch what happens. I will ruin her and her fig trees, which she said were her pay 
from her lovers. I'll make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry, Baal bling, and went after her lovers. But me, she, what's the word liquid? Say it together. Me, she forgot, declares the Lord. In other words, you forgot me, Israel? Well, guess what? Forget you. And God literally hangs up the phone. This is it. This is, this is, this is the story of God, how he feels when his people stiff arm him out of their life. He's like, with this pain in my chest, I wish you the best, but forget you, forget her too. And with that, God actually kicks Israel out and removes his hand of protection. When I say he hangs up the phone and stops taking calls, I mean that literally. When the Old Testament ends, there is 400 years of silence. 400 years between the time that the last prophet spoke God's word to his people to the New Testament. 400 years go by of deafening silence. You talk about a breakup. God is jealous for his people. When we give our heart to other lovers or smaller gods, sometimes God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. You don't have any room for me anymore, then I, I withdraw. You forget me? Okay, forget you. And this is scary. This is, this, this is scary to me because God did withdraw like a wounded lover from Israel. And for a season, Israel, they got their party on. <laughs> they were on top of the world. They, they, were, they were the highest in the world in terms of military might in material prosperity, but their downfall came very quickly. Only 25 years later, the Assyrians came and they tore the northern kingdom to pieces. They not only sacked Samaria in 722 BC, they carried the Hebrew people off into slavery again. This is how sin works, isn't it? It lures us in with the promise of something better, and then as soon as we get close, bam, over the top, we become slaves again. Prisoners, victims to our own vanity, and pride. And when we hit rock bottom, we want to go back. We think back to the days of our first love and say, God, where, where are you? I mean, I was pretty harsh. I said, forget you. And I wonder, has he, has he maybe forgotten me? See, the story of Hosea would be like every other human love song with a bitter chorus. Forget you, except that this is not a story about human love. It is a story about divine love, about the way God loves us. It's a story about a divine lover who candidly is jealous for us. It's a story about your God, who, like Hosea, got into a relationship with you and me, full well knowing we'd be unfaithful to him. That in our sin, in our pride, in our lust, we would wander off at some point like a she-camel in heat. We talked about that last week. <laughs> And if you or I knew that in advance, we would just never get involved in the first place. I mean, who needs the headache? Who needs the heartache? Forget that. But God never did. Although Hosea left her home, she never left his heart. And this is what's, what's amazing about God's story, guys, about the Bible. It is supernatural. It's what sets its message apart from every human love story out there. Because with these blood on these tracks and these scars on, on his heart, your God still manages to open his arms and say, I forgive you. I want you back. See, this is the upside of jealousy. Jealousy is, is the opposite of bitterness. Bitterness is when someone kind of hurts you and you steal your heart, you shut it down, you make it hard and you nurse a grudge. You actually get resentful about the one who hurts you and you wish them ill will. You know what? F them. That's a, that's a bitter heart. But a jealous heart, godly jealousy, totally different. The jealous heart of God, although it may react with forget you, is always open to forgive you. 
to forgiveness, to restoration, to reconciliation. And divine forgiveness, I think, helps us see how different we are by, from God and how lucky you and I are to be loved by him. I received a letter earlier this week from someone actually going through their own breakup. Again, I'll admit the gory details, but she wrote, Pastor Tim, I'm haunted by memories of him. He broke our vow, and I can never forgive him for that. Forgive and forget, please. I will never forget what he's done to me. My mind spins with thoughts of what I wish God would do to him and her. I can't forgive. To be honest, I don't even want to at this point. That's, that's an honest emotion right there. And it raises a practical question for you and me. How do you forgive someone who's betrayed you? I mean, the way Hosea does with Gomer, how do you do that? The way God does with us. See, we've only looked at the first half of chapter 2 here, which captures Israel's punishment. But the second half of this chapter rings an entirely different note. It holds out this incredible hope of Israel's reconciliation with God. It's like, I want to restore you. And the truth is this. No matter how many times we wander from God, forget you, God always says, come home and let me forgive you. Come home. That's the heart of your God. That is the hope of the Christian faith. Listen to these words that express God's hope for restoration with his people. Verse 16, look at it, it says, In that day, declares the Lord, you'll call me my husband. You'll no longer call me my master, and I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In other words, it wasn't until Judah's exile that that nation of Israel came to its senses, actually gave, gave her up her idols and actually turned back to God. And the truth is, it will not be until Jesus returns to this earth that our relationship with God will be fully healed, fully restored. And in that day, Hosea says, God won't seem like a master. You know what a like, master-slave relationship, like I have to do this out of duty. He's going to seem more like a husband. In other words, the relationship will be deeply personal, deeply intimate, deeply trusting. The kind of experience that we imperfectly taste sometimes in human marriage. In verse 19, God promises, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice in, let's say this together, liquid, in love and compassion. This is the wedding gift that God offers his people, both in Hosea's story and our own. It's compassion. Through no effort of our own, God says, I love you. I have compassion. I forgive you. I want to make you right with me. And we're like, how can that be possible? We can never repay God after what we've done to him. That's how sin works. The debt is too steep. But in Christ, God absorbs our offense. He takes on the scars of love. We talked about this last week. Jesus bled for us. He says, I'm going to bear all the sin of the world on me so that you can have a relationship back with the Father. I'm going to bring you into this, and I'm going to fill you with my life. Jesus is the fulfillment of Hosea's prophecy. Remember, God said, I'm going to bring one leader up out of the land, and he is going to be betrayed, and he is going to heroically suffer on that cross to show my love. And on the cross, what did Jesus say? He said the F word. He didn't say, forget you. He said, Father, what? I forgive you. Father, forgive them. And those words make all the difference. Because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he not only saves you, he puts his spirit inside of you, which then gives you the power, a new strength, to forgive those who hurt or betray you. Again, Hosea raises this question that I think is the most practical question you or I will ever be asked as Christ followers. How do you forgive someone who's betrayed you? And the answer is, you forgive them 
the way Christ forgave you. Forgiving others as Christ forgave you. It's the heart of the gospel. And there is this direct link, yeah, between the way we're forgiven by God and the way God expects us then to forgive others who hurt us. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Even if you're a casual attender of church, you know the, the kind of Lord's Prayer, which Jesus says, I want all my followers to pray this way. At the heart of the Lord's Prayer are the words, forgive us our sins as what? As we also forgive everyone who sins against us. As we also, Charles Williams says, those are the three most terrifying words in the Bible. <laughs> As we also, in other words, forgiveness isn't a suggestion for Christ's followers. It's a command. It's an expectation. God like assumes it. And the logic of the gospel is simple. If God forgives you and me for all we've done to hurt and betray him, who are we to withhold forgiveness from those who wrong us? See, the cross brings all our relationships together. As we're vertically forgiven by God, there's this horizontal outflow of forgiveness we're supposed to give to others. And I understand you may be like, well, you know, Pastor Tim, that's for some people. But you don't know what so-and-so did to me. They hurt me bad. Gomer bad, okay? Look, as your pastor, I, I understand some of you carry deep hurts. Deep hurts, I understand that. But the truth is, Jesus directly connects our forgiveness with the Father with our forgiveness with others. In Matthew 6, Jesus bluntly says, if you don't forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And this is hard because some of you are like Hosea. You've lived a righteous life and you have been wounded by the sin of another person. I get that. Nobody said following Christ is going to be easy. We, we participate in his sufferings, okay? But to follow Jesus Christ means you learn a new F word, okay? When someone hurts or wounds you, instead of saying what comes naturally, forget you, you need to learn to replace it with a different F word that's harder to speak. I forgive you. I forgive you. That is the real F word that God wants his people to use liberally. Last year, there was a pastor down south who uh, made headlines by teaching this concept to his church in a unique way. He wanted his people to understand that centrality of forgiveness, forgiving others who had hurt them. And to do this, he led his African-American congregation in an exercise that went viral on YouTube. Since we have been forgiven, what should be our corresponding action? I'm glad you asked. We should forgive and extend grace to everybody else. No wonder Matthew says, and when you start praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. For if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who's in heaven forgive your transgressions. As a Christian, you've got to forgive. Now that said, and please don't get offended, the new F word in the word church is forgive. I'm going to say it again. The new F word in this church is forgive. Now that said, do me a favor, touch your neighbor and say, F you. God, I wish I had, God, I wish I had 25 people that say, I forgive you for whatever you said about me. Not just your neighbor, look down your whole row saying, F y'all too, go ahead and tell them. You know what, y'all looking at me crazy. Would you do me a favor? Take your phone out. Text all your exes and say, I'm at church. F you. Forgive you for lying on me and talking about me. Pastor, my mama don't like you. Well, F your mama. My family don't 
like you. F your family too. You know what? Jump on your feet, snap your fingers, say F everybody in here. God, I wish I had five people that would jump on your feet and high five six people say F you. Go ahead, tell them. F you, go ahead. High five somebody else say F you. Yup, F you. Yup, F you. F all y'all. F you. God, I wish I had somebody that would have a little church with me and thank God that he forgave you for all your sins and now you can forgive everybody else. <laughs> Who's ready to have a little church today? Wow, that is, that's, wow. Little CeeLo in the pulpit. I think he got his point across with that one. That's amazing. Now, I, I can't actually imagine the emails he must have gotten either. And if you are offended, by all means, do email him. Uh, but I, I... <laughs> I hope you don't miss the point. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that you forgive others. Demands it. See, we point to Gomer and we say, how could Hosea forgive her? And God says, the same way I forgive you. And now I want you to forgive them. But Lord, I don't, I don't want to forgive them. Think of that person right now in your life who's caused that pain. I don't want to forgive them. I don't have the strength to forgive them. I don't even have the desire to forgive them. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. See, if you are truly going to get past your past, you will need Jesus to give you his power to forgive. You can't do this yourself. If you do not forgive, you remain bound in the vice grip of the person who hurt you. You will be chained to the past and you will forfeit your future. Only grace, God's scandalous, amazing love that says, I'm going to forgive you even when you're my enemy, sets the captive free. When you forgive someone who's betrayed you, you know what you're doing? You're illustrating the Hosea heart of God. That's what you're doing. This, guys, is key to some of you who need freedom and healing from your past. Lewis Smedes, the award-winning psychiatrist, he said, when we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover the prisoner was me. <laughs> it was us. See, even if you don't feel love for the person, forgiveness has nothing to do with feelings. I don't feel like forgiving them. That has nothing to do with it. Even if you don't feel love for the person, even if you lack the desire for forgiveness, you must. It is an, it is an act of enlightened self-interest. See, in order to stay connected to God's grace, Father, forgive me. We must dispense grace as I forgive those who sinned against me. Forgiveness is the most radical F word that God wants his people to speak when you've been betrayed just as Jesus was. It is the number one way we imitate Christ and live our identity as children of God. Now, I want to pause here and clear up some confusion because for a lot of Christians, this idea of forgiveness is very fuzzy and very easily misunderstood. So let me make this clear. There is a big difference between forgiveness on one hand and trust on the other. There's a difference between forgiving someone and then trusting them again after they've betrayed you. As Mark Beeson from Granger Church uh, says, he says, most of society has no difference between the two. They think it's the same thing. It's not. If someone has personally hurt or betrayed you, there's a huge difference between forgiving them and trusting them again. See, forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, it's supposed to be instantaneous. It actually isn't about like, well, did they accept a, you know, responsibility? Did they say they're sorry? It, it, it act, forgiveness steps over blame or fairness. Forgiveness, biblically, listen to me, doesn't actually require that person to repent to you. If we all walked around waiting for that person to, to repent and say, I, I'm so sorry, did you really mean it? Are you sincere? We would never forgive people. But when wounded, Christ commands us to instantly forgive. You know what that means? I want you to surrender justice to God. Let him be the one who judges and you be the one who gives grace. 
Again, you forgive as Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive us? On the cross. He's on the cross while the crowds are still jeering. The soldiers are still mocking. They're spitting on him. They were not sorry. They were not repentant. Christ looked down and said, Father, what? Forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. Forgiveness is about giving grace to your enemy at the moment of offense and then leaving the judgment to your heavenly father. As Beeson puts it, we all live in a state of constant forgiveness, guys. You or I and I, we're trophies of God's grace. And the Bible says, I want you to forgive as you have been forgiven. God for, how does God forgive? He forgives instantly. He forgives completely. So we're to forgive others instantly and completely. Now listen to me. Forgiveness is based on grace. That's why we call it amazing. But trust is a different issue. Trust is not based on grace. It's based on works, on a track record of behavior proved over time. Listen carefully to me. For instance, if a woman, let's say a woman is being battered by her husband, her husband comes and says, will you please forgive me? You know what? She needs to forgive him because Jesus commanded it. And if she doesn't candidly, she'll have a tumor of bitterness grow in her heart and she'll get hurt all over again, over and over. But she doesn't need to let him come back in the house. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he hasn't proven trustworthy. Forgiveness is built on grace. Trust is built on works. Forgiveness is instant. Trust takes time. It's built on behavior consistently. Does that make sense? Nod your head if this makes sense to you. You've got to get this. Trust is, is, is lost in a moment, but it's painstakingly built inch by inch over time, especially when there's been betrayal, like adultery or abuse or abandonment in a marriage. That rebuilding process is painfully slow. Trust takes time to rebuild. And, and you know how trustworthiness shows itself? It's called Humility. Humility, actually, in the person who's done the wrong. The only way someone's going to change their heart is if God gives them grace. Grace is the only thing that changes a person's heart. And the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. Think about this. Only the humble receive God's grace liberally. In other words, when you're prideful and you say, I, I, that wasn't my fault, I didn't have anything to do with it, you are living in opposition to God. So when you cover up your sin, when you minimize it, it wasn't that bad. What is that? It's pride. It's pride. It is very humbling, isn't it? Actually, the word humiliating is even better. To admit failure that you've hurt someone is humiliating. But in that very act of humiliation, God gives you the grace to change. See, repentance, guys, is not just about being sorry you got caught. It's being humbled, cut to the heart as you see clearly and own the damage that you've caused others. That's true humility, and we hate it. But think about this. The thing we hate and resist the most, having people find out, admitting the devastation we caused, that's the thing that has the power to change us. That attitude of humility lets us grow and allows God to bring good out of a tragic situation. It is the only way our character gets rebuilt and a relationship can be restored. So do you understand this? Trust takes time. Forgiveness, instantaneous. Forgiveness built on grace, trust based on works. Your behavior over time. Does that make sense? Nod your head. You with me? You got to get this. Don't keep it fuzzy. A lot of churches talk about this in a fuzzy way. Like, yeah, just forgive. It's a process. But there's this instant moment where you surrender that person. God, you take them and I forgive them in Christ's name. I don't even feel this. Christ, open up my heart. Expand it. Give me the power to forgive. And he'll do it. That's what makes grace amazing. In his excellent book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells the story of a 
married woman named Rebecca, whose husband was actually a pastor. He was actually uh, had some renown as a retreat speaker, and uh, became apparent over time that he did have a dark side. He actually dabbled in porn, and when he would take trips to other cities, he solicited prostitutes. Kind of a modern day Hosea. This is a true story. Sometimes he asked his wife, Rebecca, for forgiveness, and sometimes he didn't. And in time, not surprisingly, he left her for another woman named Julie. Now, Rebecca was devastated. Some of the people in her church shunned her, and others kind of pulled away, and she wondered, like, can I ever trust anyone again? You understand that. But she had this increasing sense that until she forgave her former husband, this hard lump of revenge would get passed on to her kids. And so she prayed for months, God, I forgive him. Help me to forgive. I don't even feel it. And at first, she said her prayers seemed kind of vengeful like the prophets, you know, like, God, I think of my husband right now. Just give him what he deserves, you know. Forget him, she thought. But eventually, she came to the place of actually letting God, not herself, serve as judge. Lord, you give him what he deserves. I'm here to bless. Help me bless him. And one night, with a trembling hand, the spirit of Christ led her to actually call her ex-husband. And in a shaky voice, she said, I just want you to know that I forgive you for everything that you've done to me. There was silence. She said, I want Julie to know I forgive her too. More silence. She said, is anyone there? He just started laughing. He said, you kidding me? You didn't didn't need to say that. I I didn't really, you know, he he was unwilling to even admit that he had done anything wrong. Hung up. That phone call, Rebecca said, you know, actually helped her move past her bitter feelings. Now, fast forward a few years later. Rebecca gets a hysterical phone call from Julie the woman who had stolen her husband. She'd be attending a pastor's conference in Minneapolis, and when he left the room to go for a walk, he didn't come back, and so she called the police. She was very worried, and the police informed her that he had been picked up again for soliciting several prostitutes. And on the phone with Rebecca, Julie sobbed and said, I never believed you. She said, I told myself that even if what you said he was true, he changed, and now this, I feel so ashamed, I feel hurt, I feel guilty, and I have no one who can understand, but... Then I remembered the night that you called me and said, I forgive you. And I know this is probably too much to ask, but is there any way I could talk to you? And Rebecca swallowed hard, and Christ gave her the courage to invite Julie over that same evening. And there in her living room, the two women shared stories of betrayal cried together, and in the end, bent down on her living room floor and prayed together. And that was the moment that Julie points to, that she became a Christian. I want you to imagine this. Imagine this scene. Husband stealer and abandoned wife side by side on the living room floor carpet praying, asking for it and receiving God's amazing grace. And then giving grace to the other. Can you imagine this? Can you ever imagine doing that? The audacity of grace. Guys, that's the power of the Hosea heart. When we forgive, it not only sets us free, God can use it to restore the lives of others as well. Guys, that's the gospel. That's the power of forgiveness. That's what God has done for you. And he says, I want you to forgive as I've forgiven you. Yancey writes, the gospel of grace begins and ends with forgiveness. 
And people write songs with titles like Amazing Grace for one reason. Grace is the only force in the universe powerful enough to break the chains that enslave generations. All of our campuses, some of you are here today and you need God's strength to forgive. I believe he can give that. He can give the Hosea heart to you today in this, in this room. I believe that if you ask him, if you humble yourself. Others of you need the humility to say you're sorry and truly mean it. If I could just shoot straight with you, you cannot expect to inflict damage on another believer, on your own family, and simply walk away and expect God to bless you. You must humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so he can raise you up and he can restore you. So get this, the next 60 seconds may be the most important moment of this week for you because you have the chance to come clean in a safe place with a God of grace. This is a moment for you to do business with God. I'm gonna invite all our campuses to bow your heads just right now. I'm gonna clear some space Talk to God. If there's someone you need to forgive, just say, Jesus, I need, I don't feel forgiveness. I want to and I will forgive them. In the name of Jesus, I forgive so-and-so. You can pray that right now. God is right here, right now, waiting for you. Father God, prayers from your people going up all over the place with God. I pray that you will receive them and, and see our open hands right now as us asking for your help. First, we ask forgiveness for our sins, Father where we have failed miserably and come up short, we throw ourselves on your grace. Cleanse your people by the blood of Christ. Renew a right spirit, Lord, in our heart as a church. In fact, all our campuses, let's pray out loud as Jesus taught us to pray. One big voice all together. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father God, I pray right now, we are the sinners and the sinned against. And I ask for every man and woman under the sound of my voice, Father, would they sense your spirit right now and cry out and receive your grace. Give strength to forgive to those who need it. Christ, we're counting on you. We have open hands. Help us forgive our enemies and heal our hearts. Give us hearts like Hosea, which is to say, give us a heart like yours. Keep us forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ now and forevermore. It's in his name all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.